Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who've experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week we are talking about Trans Day of Remembrance. My name is Emily Mitchell, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center. With me today I have Morgan Aris Andrino. Morgan uses she, her pronouns and is a transgender woman who has been a regular to Butterfly Talks for quite some time now. Butterfly Talks is a place to build friendships and a sense of community for historically undeserved communities within the LGBTQ plus community. Morgan, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And I also have returning Nicole Parker. Nicole uses she, her pronouns and is the Trans Action Florida Project Coordinator, assisting with Equality Florida's statewide transgender inclusion initiative. She also currently works for the One Pulse Foundation as the stakeholder and community relations manager. Nicole has sat on various nonprofit boards within the community, including the LGBT Plus Center Board of Directors, the Orlando United Assistance Center Advisory Board, Trans Action Advisory Council, Spectrum Health Board of Directors, and Peer Support Space Board of Directors. So, Nicole, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm really excited to have this really important conversation with you both. Just as a really brief introduction, Trans Day of Remembrance is meant to memorialize trans individuals who have been murdered due to transphobia and this year it is on November 20th. So in an effort to raise awareness of the violence the trans community faces, this episode is going to delve into how the trans community is marginalized, why transgender individuals are more at risk for violence, and how we as individuals and as a society can better support the trans community. So with that in mind, I like to start off our podcast with some definitions to give our audience some background information or foundation before we delve deeper into the topic. So that being said, could you share with everyone what it means to be transgender? So to be transgender is to be someone who experiences life in a way that's not wholly concurrent with their body. I've known as long as I've had a concept of gender that I didn't identify with the gender I was assigned at birth, and and that those sort of actions and expectations chafed. I mean, I did them. I doubled down on them actually for a while, but it's it's 
that feeling of this isn't right, this this fit isn't right, and uh, it isn't something that you can explain to somebody who's not really experienced it. I can get close, but it's different for everybody. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and being so open to us about your experience, Morgan. Um, Nicole, was there anything you wanted to jump off on that? Yeah, no, I completely 100% agree with that. That's um, pretty much exactly how my experience was. I kind of give a situation for people and it kind of helps them understand. So all fetuses begin as female. And then when um, your hormone levels start to go up or down, it either stays as a female or goes to male. Um, In our case, as um, trans women, our brain stayed as female, but our body went to male. So some people can better understand it in that aspect of like, you know, I've talked to people and they're like, wow, you really think like a woman. I'm like, I am a woman. You know what I mean? I just happen to be in a different body. My body kind of get messed up in the process. But um, I like to give that example just because sometimes it's easier for people to understand. Um, But yeah, it's basically like this, your brain and your body aren't connecting. It's not technically doing the same thing. You're feeling one way in your head and your body's telling you, you know, a different way, especially going through puberty and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that, Nicole. Um, I wanted to break down some other terms that might just be used commonly when we talk about the trans community. So I've heard of terms like MTF or male to female, FTM or female to male, cisgender, those kinds of things. Are there any terms that you want to kind of highlight and uh, make a little more concrete for our audience here? Yeah, I would say um, definitely cisgender. I know that comes up a lot and people are like, what does that mean? So cisgender just means you identify as the gender you were born in. So if you were born female and you identify as female, you are considered cisgender. Um, If you were born male and identify as male, then you would be considered um, cisgender. And um, MTF is male to female. So that would be, um, in my case, I was assigned male at birth and then transitioned to female. And then FTM, which would be um, an individual assigned female at birth and who transitioned to male. Another common one that you tend to get as well, why the term cis? Um, I forever am hearing people say that. Uh, And the reason is because cis is a prefix that denotes on the same side, while Mm -hmm. trans is to be across side. So to be cisgendered is to be on the same side as your original gender, and to be transgendered is to, to cross that boundary. And I think it's also important to denote a lot of people who try to read message boards or community forums that trans folks frequent are going to see uh, AMAB or AFAB, and that is just assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth. Um, another one that you commonly see is NB, which is to be non-binary, um, and it'll be spelled E-N-D-Y or E-N-B-I, depending on who you're dealing with, just to add a, more, a little bit more of language fluency for those who aren't part of the community or, or trying to figure out how to enter into the community. And for uh, non-binary, that just simply means that you don't identify with either gender, correct? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. I also want to recognize that certain marginalized folks can feel even further marginalized within their own communities. So with that, could you share a bit about how people who identify as trans could possibly feel within the LGBTQ plus community and furthermore within the trans community itself? Yeah, I would say, um, I often say that the T is silent in LGBTQ um, because trans folks show up always, whether it's for straight people, whether it's for gay people, lesbian, bisexual individuals, we're always on the forefront, ready to fight. Um, But when trans rights are being taken away, trans protections, people tend to be silent. So I look at us as the marginalized within the marginalized. 
and we kind of get the bottom of the barrel. We get the scraps at the end of the day. And it's very difficult to process that sometimes because outwardly individuals believe that, oh, the LGBTQ community, you're all one and you all support each other. And it's like, not necessarily, you know, in a perfect world we would, but at least in my experience, I've realized that I faced extreme discrimination from cisgender individuals, but I've faced incredible discrimination from LGBTQ individuals as well. Yeah, I um, I have to agree. I frequent a lot of lesbian spaces because I am lesbian. It's very interesting to go to a lesbian space as a trans woman because you'll find that you're very welcome, but you're not very included. And that's a very important distinction to make. Denigrating is not the right word, but it, it's unaffirming. You know, it makes you feel invalid or like there's an asterisk next to your identity. Conversely, you know, I've occupied normal spaces that are part of the queer community and and uh, my brother's gay I, i've gone to several gay events with him just because you know he wanted support it's always strange to be the trans person in the room at an event full of gay men because you know they all just kind of look at you like why are you here and it's like, well i can be your ally and not be like you just like you should be my ally and not be like me i mean and i think that's the thing we tend to stand out more because not every trans person is passable. A lot of the queer community has the option of being stealth or, or going unnoticed by um, the cisgender heteronormative society that we live in. As a result, it's easier for them to not be noticed by those who are frightened of the other. And we tend to be a little bit more further othered simply because being six feet tall as a woman is tough. <laughs> you know, being being broad-shouldered and built like a linebacker is really hard to explain to people, and that's tough. But at the end of the day, trans visibility is important, and so we do sort of owe it to those who aren't out yet to be visible. But because we are so visible, it becomes very easy for us to be picked out in a crowd. You know, the goal is always to pass, but if you know what you're looking for, you can always spot trans folks. I have lots of friends who are stealth who no one knows that they're trans, but, you know, when I met them, I was like, oh, hey, and, you know, Trans women spot other trans women real fast. <laughs> um, it's just, it's hard to explain in a way that doesn't sound like we're, we're picked on or something, because that's not strictly true. But because we tend to stand out more, because we don't have the option of going under the radar per se, it's easier for the hateful to see and, and attack trans folks. And it's easier for our allies to be like, no, we're not like them. Don't, don't don't associate us. And so, yeah, the, uh, being trans in the LGBT plus movement is, is tough sometimes because we're very easily disavowed. And that sucks, for lack of a better word. No, I completely agree with Morgan. I think um, what's interesting is we're, I always tell people as trans folks, we have to be the teachers. So we always get the questions of what have you had done? Did you get that done down there? Have you had your boobs done? Have you? And it's like, who asked that? Like, why does that, like, why? And people don't see that as a negative. They're looking at it like they have a right to ask because we transition. So we, it's up to us to tell everybody. And it's like, no, you know what I mean? If a, if a cisgender woman goes and gets facial work done or something, the first thing is it going to be, Hey, did you get your nose done? People don't say that. You know what I mean? People are going to just kind of pass by. But when it comes to trans folks, we always have to explain, we have to correct people on our pronouns. Um, correct people on our name if they knew our dead name before. Um, explain what our experience is. Um, I've had gay men say, you know, you trans folks are the ones that have gone too far. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? It's it's difficult to be trans. And when people like to say, oh, you chose this, trust me. Not <laughs> I didn't sure. do this. <laughs> 
I would not, not have known. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to explain some terms that Nicole used, dead name is, is the name as we were given at birth. We tend to think of them as being, you know, dead to us. I'm not terribly fond of this term because, you know, yeah. names and identities don't really die. They're still part of who we are, but it's the best term we've got. So it's the one we use. And then, you know, that that getting dead named, that feeling is is one of the many microaggressions. You know, I'm in the process of trying to change my legal name and my gender markers here in the state of Virginia, and uh, it's a it's a mess. Um, and so, like my ID, all my paperwork. I work for a federal contractor, so all of it has to I have security clearance. All of that requires me using my old name, and that's hard. Like I have to see it every day. Uh, we call these microaggressions because they're just little little attacks that. You know, no one's doing it on purpose. It's just the way that the system is built. And, you know, the new company that I work with is much better about accommodating that all of my stuff, except for my official email, has my actual name on it as opposed to my old one. And that's just because the old one, because the email has to be set up with my legal name per federal regulations. If it hadn't been that way, it would have been my preferred name. And they've offered to change it as soon as my, you know, name change process is done. But yeah, those little microaggressions are are an everyday thing for trans folks. Um, And you get them from everyone or and everything, you know. It can be as simple as looking down at your license and seeing M instead of F or F instead of M or seeing a gender indicator at all if you're non-binary. The system's designed for a gendered world and it's designed for a world where you stay the same gender. And as a result, there's lots of little things that are an attack against a trans identity. I, I think the, the word that came to mind while you were talking, Morgan, is privilege, right? When we This is really what we mean by when we say privilege. I, as a cisgender woman, I don't have to think about any of that because the, the system is designed in a heteronormative space and therefore cisgender space too. And therefore, I don't have to worry about these microaggressions. I don't even have to think about them. And that's really what privilege means. Um, so I really appreciate you breaking that down. Um, I also want to acknowledge, because we were talking about the LGBTQ plus community and, and, and Nicole, you were mentioning how trans people are kind of the ones that come to the fight. Um, I want to acknowledge Marsha P. Johnson, who was the uh, first to throw this, the, the brick um, at the Stonewall riots, who really started Pride in general, who was a transgender woman. Um, so I always want to bring her up because she was really the, the, the founder of Pride, really. Um, that being said, why do you think the trans community is not talked about as frequently as other parts of the LGBTQ plus community? Because it requires you having a really intersectional understanding of what it is to be a person in today's society. Straight up, you need to be a sociologist, a psychologist, a biologist, and you know, be able to talk about economics and a slew of other topics to like and navigate transgenderism. There are so many economic issues that face trans people, especially trans women. There's a ton of social structures that are just, as I've said previously, um, frustrating and painful. There's the social constructs of like navigating the space of like explaining to everybody who's ever met you, okay, that person that you knew, part of them is real, but most of it was an act. Like that's that's tough. Parsing out where those lines exist is difficult. It, it's hard to talk about transness as a whole because you have to look at it from so many different angles to see the whole picture. And that requires a great deal of cultural fluency and cultural competency that the average person just doesn't have. So it's hard to even have an idle level of stuff because it does require so much specialized knowledge and understanding. It's so, so true. I think, um, so if we look in the past, if we go to 
40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, if you were gay, it was on the hush hush. You were kicked out of your house at 14, 13. It was, oh, what happened to Bobby? Oh, you know, Bobby moved away, you know, or you bring, um, they would bring somebody to the family function. This is my roommate. You know, it was all these things. Now let's fast forward to the 2000s where being gay, it was celebrated and everything. I believe that trans is about 20 years behind. So when I transition, I'm going on 10 years next year. Um, Laverne Cox had just got um, casted as the first trans woman in um, Orange is the New Black, but that's all we knew about her. Now when you think back of how much she's done in that span of time, it's been incredible, but there was no Laverne Cox, there was no Janet Mock, there was no, there was none of that. Um, all we knew was dirty, sexy money with um, Candace Kane and Nick Huck, you know what I mean? Where it was like that one trans character, but it wasn't even a trans person playing it. And all we knew of trans folks were this, this bit of our identity, you know what I mean? And as time has gone on, now there's representation, whether it's Jazz Jennings, someone who transitioned so young that shows that you can transition young and have a successful life, or someone who's older who transitioned, and you can see that you, it, it's not an age range of when you transition, it's when you're comfortable and you finally do it. And I think now with all of this representation, now education is coming along. Um, people have their issues with Caitlyn Jenner, but the one thing that Caitlyn Jenner did was make trans kitchen table talk. Everybody talked about that when, when she came out, regardless of how people felt about her. Um, people knew her previously and then know her now. So I think all of that has something to do with the education now, but I still think we're about 20 years behind because, you know, and granted it's the administration we're in, but, you know, trans people being banned from the army, mind blowing, you know what I mean? Rights and protections being taken out of um, health insurance for trans folks specifically, mind blowing. So it's like we go two steps forward and 10 steps back. And that's how it was with gay people, you know what I mean, in the 80s and 90s, and then the AIDS crisis hit and all of these things like that. So I just think, you know, unfortunately, you know, like Morgan said, it takes a very understanding and open-minded person to understand all of the facets that are trans, because not every trans person is the same. You know, some trans people identify as trans, but never go through a transition. And I know that doesn't make sense in your head, but the word transgender in a transition, they technically don't even go together. If someone identifies as trans but wants to stay who they are, they're just as valid as anybody who wants to go and get every surgery done. And it's all about how you identify. So it's complicated. It's a complex, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I think we're getting there. But I do think we have many years before it's as widely accepted as gay is now. To touch on that that behind, you know, there's a, there's a very well-developed lexicon to talk about queerness, to talk about being gay or lesbian. I'm sufficiently old enough that I can remember when we still use the term transsexual, and I remember having my first discussions about being trans on, you know, IRC chat boards that I had to find by actually typing in an IP address, not an email, like not a URL. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm a child of the 90s. It was a mess trying to find people who like had the same sort of experiences. It was very alone back then. We were so much more disconnected. As technology has developed, we've we've been able to build a, a cultural competency much faster, but we're still behind. And and the language to talk about being trans is still so emergent um, that it's very tough. You know, I, I make it a point to try to stay on top of journal articles and, and philosophical discourse that's coming out on this topic, simply because it's changing and it's going to continue to change rapidly for the next 20 years or so. 
Yeah, I can really see that us just talking about uh, the community more as a trans community. And and you're right, Morgan, I, I remember even the term transvestite, which is definitely not, it's a derogatory yeah. term for that. Well, but, um, it's, it's a different thing. Um, so it's just, it, it is complicated, but the more that we talk about it, I think the better, and we'll talk a little bit more about how to be a better supporter as well um, of the trans community. But, but I, I do appreciate also acknowledging, even though it feels like we're so behind acknowledging where we've come to. I also think that we can all agree here and everyone listening that there are a plethora of issues that the trans community face and from barriers to transitioning, harassment and violence for simply existing, misconceptions and stereotypes about being trans, the sexualization of trans folks and many, many more and some that we've already discussed now. In fact, a recent survey on the trans community found that half of those that are transgender will experience some form of sexual violence in their lifetime, half. So first off, I want to acknowledge the strength that you both have and that being part of the trans community can be a really scary thing, I can imagine. There are so many things that we can discuss here, but essentially I want to give you both the opportunity to bring up and expand on any of these issues or anything that I have not listed that you want our audience to be aware of as far as the struggles trans folks face. And I know that we kind of went over a lot of them, but I didn't know if, I wanted to give you all the floor basically. Yeah, I think the sexualization of trans folks is out of this world. And listen, I, you know, I transitioned at 19. I didn't have any money. I fell into sex work and I get all of that. You know what I mean? I went through that whole experience. However, when I got out of it and I'm trying to date, I wasn't understanding why men thought just because I was trans, all of a sudden I automatically wanted to have sex with them. I owed them sex. Like it was just the weirdest thing to me. And they're like, oh, you did all this. This is what you want. And I'm like, excuse me? You know, like it's this mindset that we do, we transition for sexual reasons. And I've heard this for so many years and I'm like, they're very, well, maybe people who do that, but 99% of the people I know transition because they had to transition because this is who they are and they want their outside to match what's inside. And it's very frustrating, especially with dating. Um, Even now, you know, I've, I've been single like a year and a half and I'm trying to navigate this and I'm like, is this really still happening in 2020? Like, Men just assume, oh, because I have trans in my profile that I want to hook up for whatever the case may be. And it's like, this is just not the case. You know what I mean? And if I did, that's fine. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. Everybody's allowed to do what they want. But I think the assumption that just because I'm trans, I owe them sex or just because I'm trans, um, that I transition for that. It's very hurtful. We go through so much and deal with so much, whether it's society, family, friends. I don't think people take into account how many people we lose when we transition. I think it's something that us as trans folks just kind of swallow and move on. But the amount of friends that I had who were like, oh no, if you do this, you know, we're done. And I'm like, all right, well, bye. You know, but that doesn't mean that didn't hurt me. Um, I don't think they take into account all of the things that kind of go on in the sexual violence. I've experienced sexual violence myself multiple times. I'm still in counseling for years later because I still can't process it. You know what I mean? So I'm lucky to be able to have access to mental health. There's so many of my trans sisters and brothers who don't and just deal with it and have that trauma that goes on and on and on. All of those things that you listed are significant, but those were a couple that definitely stood out to me. Um, yeah, I too, um, when I first got started, um, I- 
started transitioning uh, almost three years ago now. When I got started, I had just gotten out of grad school. You know, I was trying to start a company with some of my friends, and we were getting ready to start negotiating with investors for absurd amounts of money. When I told my my producer, I was like, "Look, um, I'm transgender. I'm seeing a therapist for this. Like, I'm going to start transitioning." He was very very understanding, very supportive. He's like, "But I need you to like be normal in front of investors, please." And that was hurtful. That sucked. I understood it because, you know, we were working in an industry that is predominantly funded by conservative, you know, ironmongers. But like, it was a little hurtful. This person that I had confided to, he was the second or third person I had told. And simply because, you know, like, I knew it was going to come up sooner or later. And of the people on my team, he was the one I was most sure would be accepting. So I got started that way. And, and our company eventually failed. And I started freelance writing. And the first place that I found work was ghostwriting those awful like Amazon Kindle um, erotica pieces. And that led to, you know, getting really involved with certain sections of the kink community that made a lot of really great friends. And I learned a lot and research was really important. So a lot of that was done firsthand. After a while, you know, freelance writing doesn't pay a whole lot. It's a treadmill. You know, it, it, you, I needed supplementary income. Finding employment as a trans woman, especially a trans woman who's just starting is really hard. And then the culture shock of going into an office space after having occupied um, the male space, having male privilege. You know, I passed for white and I, I was presumably cisgendered and male when I started working in places. But um, as I transitioned, you know, I lost male privilege and it was a stark shift in people's perception of me. You know, I used to always be commended for taking charge and leading discussions and making executive decisions and, and you know, acting without asking for permission and instead seeking forgiveness and taking risks and things like that. Suddenly these things that I was commended for being a leader amongst peers and things like that, I was being denigrated for, you know, I've been called a bitch. I've been told that I'm hard to work with. I've been told that I'm hard to manage. And it just amazes me the things that, that I've like, nothing about my behaviors changed in the workplace. You know, if I have an opinion, you're going to hear it. Um, if I think your idea is stupid, I'm going to tell you. It's amazing how much more men are afforded that privilege and, and how different that is. You know, I've gotten into several arguments with TERFs about the fact that, like, you can't possibly understand what, what the female perspective is like. And it's like, no, 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 I think I'm much more starkly aware of it than you are because I occupied the other side. Like, I can see the difference between the two. I've experienced both of them. That always, like, throws people for a loop. And and there's a lot of kinds of violence. You can experience conversational violence, you, social violence is very real. You know, I had um, a coworker one time come up to me and tell me that I had nice tits for a tranny. First of all, don't comment on my breasts. Uh, second of all, tranny is a slur. <laughs> like, uh, third of all, I'm gay. Why are you hitting on me at work? It's just, it's strange. You know, I used to work out at gyms. I used to go from work to the gym. I would change and I'd work out. Now I go from work to my home, I change clothes there, and then I go to the gym. Um, because when I was trying to change at the gym, you know, I'd been on hormones for about six or eight months, at which point, you know, your, your body has changed noticeably. And the men's locker room wasn't comfortable for anybody involved and, and wasn't really safe either. Um, so, you know, I started occupying the women's room. I would go and I would change. Um, you know, I used a bathroom stall, right? It wasn't even in the actual like proper portion of the locker room. Or leaving the gym one night, going out to the parking lot, I had a collection of guys who were really offended that I was in the same space as the women that they were there with. 
trying to jump me. And if they had a few more, it probably would have been fair odds for them. Um, I've been a martial artist since I could walk. I'm fortunate that I'm not ever really scared in a self-defense situation. That's not the, tr the case for most trans women. But it's left me in a lot of awkward situations. You know, I'm usually the one who walks my friends to the car when we go out places. And sometimes when you're leaving a club at night, like, you're not in the nicest parts of town. I live in Norfolk now, and like, it's a rough city. <laughs> Even the nice parts of Norfolk are rough. I'm comfortable walking in spots that I probably shouldn't be, um, and, and taking risks that, you know, I know other people wouldn't. But being trans makes you a little more open up to that. You know, I, I went 25 years and got jumped twice, and both of them were in West Philadelphia while I was drunk in, a co in college. In the, the two and a half years of my transition that I spent in Florida, I got jumped four times, twice at the gym, uh, once in a grocery store parking lot, and um, once coming out of uh, a movie theater. And I was just astounded like that, that my existence incited this sort of violence. Like I wasn't doing anything to anybody. I was just living my life and, and minding my own business. And had I been anybody else, you know, like that could have ended very badly. I've counted myself so thoroughly blessed that I am good at taking care of myself because if I wasn't, I don't know that I'd be here having this conversation with you, especially not in some of the spots that I've gotten into. You know, when I got jumped in the, in the grocery store parking lot, it was like 1130 at night. I was the only person in that parking lot and the staff had like closed up the uh, grocery store and started their cleaning work. So they weren't coming out for a while. You know, if something had happened, I would have been out there alone bleeding by myself for who knows how long before someone found me. That is the unfortunate reality of being trans, is, is people making those decisions about your existence. And it's shame. <laughs> I don't have another way to say it, but um, violence is very common. Uh, I highly encourage every trans woman I know to take self-defense and not like karate or something of that nature. Go take a Krav Maga class. Like, you want to be the person that when your three moves into your, your execution, your assailant is crippled for life or dead because that's the only way you're going to keep yourself safe as a trans woman who gets assaulted because they're just going to come. They're not going to come by themselves. They always come in groups. It's amazing what drunk idiots will do or, you know, a bunch of hateful idiots in a group. It's always two or three at the minimum. Like I've never been assaulted on a one-on-one -on -one, on one -on -one situation. I think that most people one-on-one -on -one don't have that kind of vileness in them. Like I, I think there's a, a performative component to it. I've been scared for my life a couple times for just existing. And that's, that's not something everyone tells somebody. You know, that's not like I have a really hard time telling my mom that. She calls me every night now. That didn't used to happen. You know, I talk to my mother every single night now because she's worried. Um, you know, I used to talk to my mom maybe every other night now it's like every night without fail and if I don't answer the first time she calls again immediately and she continues calling till I answer um I have friends who've been really hurt by partners by dates by uh people they've gone to job interviews with you know I have a friend who is trans who runs a landscaping business she went to someone's house to go you know check out what they were doing and and what they needed to do and he and his son ambushed her. You called this person to your home to have them to provide a service for you. And when they got there, you decided, well, like, why? Why is that okay? Why, why would that be okay in any circumstance, but especially why, why this? It's absurd. You know, we've had more deaths in nine months this year than we had the previous year, and not by a small margin. It's, it's crazy. And the current Political climate fosters it. You know, the echo chamber of social media makes it worse.
no one chooses to be trans. I know no one chooses to be trans because nobody would at risk or denigrated in the way that we get in a very frequent basis. You know, don't get me wrong, I can go days without having someone say something to me and I can feel really great. And then I'll have like that one comment from that one asshole. And it's always, it's always gonna be there. It always, it feels like there's always another shoe. And you try not to let it bother you. You try not to let it get to you. Being trans is not a choice because if it were, no one would choose it. I know it certainly wasn't for me. You know, it was something that I desperately tried not to choose or tried not to do, you know, I, was a four-season athlete in high school. Uh, I was on the varsity football team. My Three of my four years of high school, I was the captain of my lacrosse team for two years. I was a power lifter. Like, I did everything I could to be the pro red-blooded American male because I thought if I faked it hard enough, faked it long enough, these feelings would go away. Newsflash, they don't. It doesn't go anywhere. And I understand why they, like, why people make the same decisions that I've made. It, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's, uh, I don't know if you know, but it's where Jerry Falwell's church exists. It's it's the heart of Southern Baptist conservatism. It wasn't a safe place to be gay when I was in high school. I mean, it's way better now, but like if I had tried to come out in middle school or high school, it would have been hell. I'd have been fighting all the time. I still did quite a bit just on the behalf of others, not myself. Transness is an acceptance of hardship. I remind myself every day that nothing of any value can be obtained without sacrificing something else. And being myself is worth anything. And I have to remind myself that because the cost is steep. That's all I guess I have to say on that matter. Thank you so much, Morgan. Your stories are so, so powerful. And I really want to acknowledge you were mentioning that you felt fortunate enough that you could defend yourself and and that you encourage other trans folks to um, do what they can to feel safe. And I just want to acknowledge that you shouldn't have to um, and I'm really sorry that all of that happened. You mentioned a term TERF, and I believe it's uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. Um, they are a very vocal, but thankfully very small minority in feminist circles. They are also very hurtful, and they're very well organized. They're almost universally hated by most folks, at least most decent folks. So I forgot to even think about explaining that term when using it. But, yeah. no, no problem. I just wanted to make sure that I understood the term and to mm -hmm. acknowledge that too. I also wanted to say that on this podcast, we only have trans women represented today. So I wanted to ask if there are certain considerations that you may know of that are unique to the trans man experience or any struggles that you know about that we should address. So I think in advocacy, what we see is not a lot of trans men, especially as ones that I know, like to go on advocacy. And I always ask why. And some of the trans men that I say, they're like, <laughs> us trans women kind of dominate sometimes. Like if we go in, we're talking about our experiences and stuff like that. And rightfully so. I know that sometimes that we do. Um, but I think it's, you know, to be said that the trans masculine ex experience has their hardships as well. You know, these are individuals who are still going through whatever transition that they are. They're going through the same discrimination, um, sometimes worse, sometimes less. It kind of just depends on that individual. But it's kind of, I always am a bit hesitant to speak on behalf of trans masculine individuals because there's not enough that are. And I really wish that they are, you know, that they would kind of speak up and say more. So I kind of defer over to Morgan, if you know of any. Um I, I, I too tend to hesitate to speak on the behalf of trans men. I mean, I can say that testosterone is a hell of a hormone. It does a lot for them. That's a positive, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. On the flip side, though, transition surgeries and, and gender confirmation surgeries are really 
really advanced and, and well-researched and developed um, and continuing to improve at, an, at a pretty decent rate for trans women. That isn't, isn't the case for trans men. Yes. Um, so that's, that's something to, to take into consideration and, and to be aware of as an ally and to try to be sensitive of. Other than that, I, I, I don't really know. Um, I only know three or four trans men and I tend to have a very hard time interacting with them. I, I don't know personally. I understand the hesitation. We don't want to speak for anyone, so I understand that. But kind of just highlighting that the individuality of everyone's experience as it comes to transitioning. So I appreciate that. You know, just shifting into kind of the meat of our conversation, as I mentioned in our in intro, Transgender Day of Remembrance is on November 20th of this year, so two days after this podcast is set to air. And like I mentioned, essentially this day is to memorialize those who have been murdered as a result of transphobia. So what would you like our listeners to know about this day and how will you be honoring this day? And what can we do as supporters to honor this day? Yeah, I think it's this day is so important, especially to our community um, for the simple fact that for many years, trans murder, I mean, and still to this day, I'm, I'm gonna say still now, trans murders are not properly recognized. And this year, we're already at 31 that we know of. And I always say that we know of because people like to say, oh, we're at 31. But what if somebody wasn't gendered correctly in the media or whatever the case may be, and it's not known. So we're at 31 and it's only October. It is mortifying to hear that. Um, I, I think if it was, you know, 31 children, 31 older people, you know what I mean? People would be in an uproar. But because it's trans folks, a lot of the time, it's just like, oh, you know, you know, it doesn't affect me. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. If it doesn't affect them, they don't worry about it. And how this day came about is once again, our community usually has to rally around itself. So if the media, if the government weren't recognizing trans murders, we as a community do. And if we basically come together, there's a lot of visuals that happen um, where you light a candle for that individual, you say their name, and it really just is the community coming together to recognize those individuals because the media doesn't, the um, you know local officials, you know federal officials, whatever the case may be, all of them, it just kind of goes unnoticed, and nobody's death should go unnoticed. Nobody's death should go, you know, not talked about. That's horrendous, and you know, to Morgan's point about the violence, the way that these murders happen too are insane. Like last year, there was one individual who had their eyes gouged out. Like it, the way that these individuals are taking out hate on our family is out of this world. And the fear is real. You know, the fear of going out in public or whatever the case may be. I had this situation where I was ridiculed. It caused me to not go to public Target, any big stores for years. And my friends could never understand it. And I would, I would literally shake because I was so nervous to go to places because of the way that people would treat me. I would go to a local mall and they'll be like, that's a dude screaming and echoing in the mall. And it's like, how do you ignore that? You know what I mean? Everybody knows they're talking about you. And it's, I don't think a lot of people can understand what it's like to be targeted constantly for your identity. You know what I mean? To be picked on or people walk by and chuckle. People walk by and make a comment. They're not too feet away from you and you can hear, oh, that's a dude. And everybody wants to turn around and laugh, not realizing how that makes somebody feel. You know what I mean? It's hard enough for us to get out of bed, deal with the trauma we've already had, put our happy face on and either go to work, go to school, go shopping, do whatever we do. And then when that happens, it just reinforces us wanting to go into our shell or not come out or be scared to go out. 
Um, so it, it really is just kind of like all encompassing. And that day we really come together as a community to honor those that we lost and um, bring awareness. If nobody else will, we definitely will. Personally, uh, I'm very fortunate. Um, I have a collection of friends who are um, like myself, trans and pagan, um, and we tend to get together. You know, there's a, a candlelight vigil that we do. Uh, the candle, we let the candle burn all night until it burns out. There's a lot of, you know, um, seeking protection and safety for our sisters and brothers, for you know, seeking justice against those who have perpetrated these horrible acts. You know, it's it's very tough. It's very hard to think about the fact that the murders that have been committed are so horrific. Every human being, well, every remotely neurotypical human being is hardwired for empathy. Uh, you know, most of us have functional mirror neurons. And so at the very least, you're capable of the basic iota of, of empathy necessary to understand that if you strike someone, it hurts. Where is it? Not just from the people perpetrating these things, but from those who watch it quietly, who say nothing. Um, it's amazing the lack of empathy that um, is felt by others for our community and how often we have to, you know, bleed ourselves dry trying to empathize enough for the rest of the world because we're the only ones who do. Um, it's hard. It's very difficult. Um, it's very, very hard to see people like you go unavenged, unvindicated, um, and to just be statistics, you know, um, I have a friend who likes to tell me she lives her life like she has no tomorrow because the math says she won't make it to 35. Um, what? Why is that something that, you know, any young person of 22 has to think? What is wrong with this picture? <laughs> so Trans Day of Remembrance for me is preparing for the year to come and honoring those who have been lost and begging, pleading, anything that will listen to get them a modicum of justice that they can rest in peace, you know, um, beseeching anyone who will listen to empathize. Just empathize. I don't care if you don't take action. Just acknowledge that we're suffering and that it hurts um, and, and that there's a very real cost to, to doing this, to being this way. Um, there's just not enough empathy, and so we have to do it ourselves. That's, that's what Trans Day of Remembrance is, is a community trying to empathize for the world. Thank you again both for, for sharing your thoughts on that um, and being really raw with us. I really appreciate you being vulnerable um, in this space. Um, I wanted to ask if there, you mentioned that there was a lot of um, vigils, candlelight vigils. So with it being, um, I'm going to assume it's going to continue being physically distanced in November. Do you know of any virtual things that people who are listening can join in on? I know it's kind of early, but um wanted to ask if you knew of any of those. Yeah, it's um it's a bit early, but I know, I mean, all of the big organizations, I know Equality Florida, we're looking at doing something um here in Florida. 
um, in Orlando, I know that there's always one held at Valencia um, and there's also one held at UCF. So they kind of happen at the same time. You kind of have to pick which one you want to choose. Um, but both of them are equally wonderful. Um, it's You get a candle, they say the names. Um, the one at Valencia, I will say, they read the names of everyone listed in the world. So sometimes there's 200 names, 300 names from all different countries and stuff. But I think that's very powerful as well. When we say 31, that's 31 in the United States that we know of. But there's trans folks all over the world. you know. So um, those are the ones that I know of now. But just keep a lookout, especially on social media with COVID. I know that a lot of them will be vis um, virtual, excuse me. And so all those flyers will be coming out. I'm glad that we can still honor that day even during uh, these times. So like you mentioned, uh, 31 transgender or gender non-conforming individuals were fatally shot or killed by violent means, very violent means that you were mentioning um, in, the, um, in the United States so far this year. Uh, this is set, this is recording on October 7th, by the way, a majority of which were black or Latinx transgender women. And as always, I always like to mention that these are just reported cases, like you were saying, also, according to the National Center for Transgender Equality, more than one in four trans people have faced a bias-driven assault and rates are higher for trans women and trans people of color. Once again, statistics are just reported numbers. So why is it that trans people are at risk for violence? Why is it particularly trans women of color that are at risk for violence? Why do you think that is? I think in communities of color, um it's difficult. And I say this all of the time and it, it's a bit crass, bear with me, but it gets people to understand. So um, me, I'm multiracial, half black and I'm Puerto Rican and Italian. So I can speak for black families. Um, what's, what's always been very interesting to me is when someone is trans, oh, you know, you need to go to church, something's wrong with you. But the uncle that touches the kids, you know, oh, he's sick, honey, you know, just, just he's sick. And to me, that blows my mind because me as somebody trans, I'm not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? But the family member that is, oh, you know, he's sick and he just needs help. It's this double standard that I never have been able to understand. And I think it kind of goes into the mental health piece. Um, communities of color are always telling family, keep family business in the family. Don't go to a counselor. Don't tell your friends. Don't talk about it. And that's this unhealthy pattern that we've had for years. And it's you know, if you don't change the pattern, the next generation is going to do the exact same thing. So I just think really in communities of color, there's a lot of judgment. And I say communities of color, but I think the trans topic in, in many families are, it, it's a difficult subject. And you either kind of get it, you kind of get it, or you don't. And majority of my friends, um, you know, their families don't get it. My family didn't get it in the beginning. Now, luckily, nine years later, I'm in a wonderful space with my family. But early on, there wasn't that much research and they didn't understand what I was doing. And it was a very difficult conversation and we had a lot of arguments about it. Um, so I really think just in communities of color, there's this, this macho kind of mindset and you know, there's these gender roles that people need to abide by. And if you don't, how dare you? And it's just this really toxic, toxic thing that goes on um, in communities of color that really perpetuate that. And then two, the second fold is how it's not okay to love women like us or like men, like trans men, you know? So you have, um, especially if you're in a community of color, a guy nine out of 10, you know, 
like, I like being with you, but don't tell anybody, you know, and God forbid somebody finds out and they take it out on you. They want to beat you up or something like that. It's, it's this so many layers. It's like, I look at it like an onion and you peel one and there's just another one and another one and another one. It's just all these layers of trauma and ridicule and looking at men as less than for liking women like me and looking at men as gay for liking women like me. And I always tell people, like when a guy asks me, am I gay because I like you? I said, when you look at me, what do you see? He's like, I see a woman. I said, that's what you're attracted to. I, I don't, I don't understand. You know what I mean? It's just, there's so many facets that kind of go into that. And I think it's like, I could go on and on, but I really think it's the miseducation. I think it's the judgment, the ridicule um, that individuals get for liking women like us or liking trans individuals in general. It's just, it's really, it's sad how people are looked at less than for loving someone like me. Wow, that's a really powerful statement, Nicole. Um, That really puts it in perspective, I think. And um, you talking about the layers just makes me think of that word intersectionality, which I bring up as frequently as I can, because it's such an important word. Um, so I appreciate you kind of breaking that down. Um, you know, actually a VSC staff member attended the Trans Day of Remembrance activities at Valencia that you were mentioning. Um, and that was last year. Mm-hmm. And, re- and they remembered hearing stories about those who were murdered and misgendered after death. Um, is this still a problem? And have you seen any changes in Central Florida since that time? Um, yeah, I definitely, and I'm curious, I want to hear Morgan's perspective on this, definitely um, where she lives. But here in Central Florida, it is a huge issue. Um, Sasha Garden was murdered in 2018, and they identified, they said a man in a wig was found dead. And I was floored when I read that because I'm like, not in the city I was born and raised in. You know what I mean? We've done too much work here for the media to be reporting it that way. So activists um, called all of the news places and they changed it, which is wonderful. That's all we ask is that you kind of correct it. But putting that out there first and foremost, you literally, what like they say, the media is there to teach people what to think, right? So you have already given a group of people this idea that we're just men in wigs. You know, and that's mortifying. That's absolutely mortifying um, to say, you know, man found in women's clothing dead. Why do you have to say that? Why don't you say an individual was found dead? And then once you find out what their pronouns were, what their gender identity was, then you put that out. But it's almost like they want it for like shock value or something. You know, it's it's really disgusting. And there is a huge issue everywhere. Um, and I'm very curious, Morgan, on your side, like what happens kind of where you are with this instance? It's very much the same here, you know. Um, there, there have been a couple of cases of assault. Um, I have a, a friend who is a m- member of the, the Newport News Police Department, um, and she's very queer and, and very out and a great ally and good friend. And uh, um, it's amazing the kind of story she'll tell, you know, about. And and she's not sure how long she's going to continue being employed simply because she raises hell every time. Um, but uh, yeah, they misgender us all the time. Um, if we're if we're the victims of a crime, it's amazing how unsympathetic police officers are. Yep. Um, and how they pile onto currently existing trauma. Like that, you've just had a horrible experience, and they're making it that much worse. Um, it's very very much the same here in in the Eastern Shore in in Virginia. Um, it's hard. 
You know, mm -hmm. I've had mental health therapists that, that have been bad. You know, I've, I'm currently playing the let's shop for a therapist game right now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've had sessions that I've walked out of because, you know, the, the provider couldn't get my pronouns right. Um, so it's, it's tough, you know, it's, I, I can't fathom, um, the thought of, you know, putting someone's dignity after sensational headlines, but it happens all the time. Um, you know, we talk about how we should respect the dead and, and, um, not speak ill of them, but where's that for us? Mm -hmm. I don't see it. <laughs> um, and I've not seen it nationally. You know, it's it's never woman was murdered. It's if if they get it right, it's trans woman was murdered. You know, um, it's always that asterisk, always that qualifier. You know, which okay, fine, I can I can accept that. But why make the distinction? What mm -hmm. extra information does that give anybody who's listening? You know, it's frustrating. I guess is the only way I can I can think about it. Um, and advocacy is getting better. You know, people make issue retractions all the time and um, correct themselves. Uh, but it wouldn't be necessary if they if they did their due diligence in the first place. You know, I'm I'm a writer. That's that's my craft. That's my trade. And uh, I couldn't fathom putting out a piece that I wasn't sure of all of my facts and information for. Um, so I can't I can't imagine. A world in which I would be so eager to rush to publication that I'm gonna destroy someone's dignity that way. Yeah, I, it's it's very disheartening to hear that it's still something that happens so frequently. Um, I do hope that there, I am really grateful that there are people who ask them to change and correct, and that that correction can be made. But it is very disheartening to hear that it would have to be made in, in the first place. Um, you know, how can people listening and we as a society be better at supporting people in the trans community? I know that this is a really big question, but maybe if you had like one or two tips of this is how you could be a better supporter. This is one of my favorite questions because it is difficult um, to answer. But my biggest thing is... Um, check your friends and your family that you're around. See, challenge them. Because we've all been around people who have said anti-trans things. We've all been around people and a lot of them will write it off. Oh, that's just my uncle. Oh, that's just my grandpa. Challenge them. Ask them, why do you feel that way? What is about this identity you don't understand? That's how you can be an ally. A lot of people feel, well, I can't go to rallies or I can't. That's okay. You don't have to go to rallies. You don't have to. Number one, vote and vote with all people in mind, not just you and your family. Think about all individuals in the world and about equal rights. And two, challenge your family and your friends. Have those tough conversations, you know? And if they give you, you know, if they spew hate to you, understand what kind of person that is and understand what kind of person that you are having around you. My favorite thing is always to tell people is to challenge those around because we've all heard it. And whether it's racial, we've all heard anti-Black comments, anti-Latin comments, anti-Asian comments, whatever the case may be. Um, and I'll be the one to challenge. People know not to say that in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to say it, go somewhere else with that because I want equal rights for everybody. 
And that's also that kind of goes back to trans folks. A lot of us are very that way. We're willing to fight for anybody and everybody. And we just hope that people can fight for us as well. So my biggest tip is to just talk to and have those open conversations, especially with your kids. You know what I mean? You have an opportunity to raise your kids and being open and affirming to all. So let them know that if somebody's trans, it doesn't matter. You know, get to know them still. If the trans kid is by themselves at school, go have lunch with them. Go talk to them. They're still a human too. I think the biggest piece of advice um, is make an effort with pronouns and preferred names. Um, because the people that we love, the people that are supposed to love us, um, shouldn't accidentally hurt us that way. Um, and it is hurtful. Um, that's that's a really big thing is is getting getting that right and reminding yourself to get that right um you know my my mom is really fond of saying i get it right when i'm not talking to you and like awesome so you can't get it right to my face <laughs> like um what is it about me that you just you know can't can't have that conversation with and i get it you know she she dealt with it for uh, dealt with me being another person for 24 25 years um and that's a lot of like reflexive memory and entrenched identity and association like i get that however um we're three years in now um and uh you know i've had had a name that i settled on for 18 months of that so um you know it's that that's a really big one it's a little one it's it's something that you can do that doesn't take a whole lot of effort you know, it, at the very least, do that. Um, but um, the other big one that I, I've always, always told people when they ask, you know, what, what can I do to be a better ally is um, normalize gender affirming behaviors in everyday conversation. Um, I encourage my, my cis friends to introduce themselves and, and include their pronouns um, because it normalizes the the perception that you know we need to we need to identify these things so that we can accommodate everyone. Um, conversely, I uh, I encourage people to um, not presume based on appearance. You know, uh, actually have a conversation with somebody. If the name is ambiguous, then you know continue to talk to them. Don't make any assumptions about somebody's identity until you know that person. Um, Assuming is the, I mean, like, human beings are hardwired to shortcut thought, like, where to make things easier, um, to think less actively about things so that we can, can get more done, be more aware of the moment. But stop, take time, process, listen, um, be an active participant in, in that person's world. Um, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't, it doesn't take that much time. Um, just, just listen. And, and be supportive, you know. I can't tell you the number of friends that I've watched just fold in on themselves and shut down because someone got their name wrong or their pronouns wrong. Um, and they just don't have it in them to correct someone else anymore. You know, we spend so much time fighting, so much time fighting, uh, and eventually you just don't have the energy left, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't know a trans person without some secondary trauma or some secondary mental health issue. Um, I don't think I know a trans person who's not depressed. Um, like, depression sucks if that's the only thing you're dealing with. 
Um, but then to try to have to wind yourself up and put on, you know, your customer service face to, to get through life because no one wants to deal with a morose trans person. Um, like that's just accommodate someone's existence. It doesn't cost you anything. Normalize being open to people being different than you. Um, understand your privilege and try to step out of it. I really appreciate your comments once again. I do love that these are things that are little but have huge impact and are really important at the same time. It also sounds like they're just that that invitation of processing kind of our thoughts. We have a lot of assumptions as and you're right, Morgan, as human beings, we like to quickly, you know, move on with, you know, our brains like, let's go, we gotta keep going. Um but I invite everyone listening to challenge. Everyone has them. Everyone has assumptions. I have them. I invite everyone to challenge that and, and do our best to be as open as, as you, Nicole, and you, Morgan, are, are reflecting. Um, so what are some tips, just as a final uh, question on this, what are some tips you would like to share to someone who may not know how to respond to a loved one who comes out as trans? First and foremost, it's just, if they come out to you, that was one of the hardest things they probably have ever done, first and foremost. So honor that, keep that to yourself unless they give you the green light to tell people. Because the biggest thing is like, oh, you know, Jane Doe came out to me and I want to tell my whole family. I'm so excited they told me. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? They could, it could have took them years to, to build up the courage just to tell you in that moment. So look at that as a sacred moment between you and that individual and try not to judge. I know a lot of times, you know, when I first was transitioning, oh, this is going to be hard for you, girl. You need to do this, 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 and this. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't already overwhelm them because I'm sure they've thought about all the steps that they need to go through. Just be there, answer their call when they need it, and just patiently be able to go through that process with them. I think sometimes um, people feel if you are given this information, you need to fix it or you need to be able to send them somewhere or do something. Not necessarily. Sometimes people just find comfort in knowing one person knows. One person knows who I really am and that's okay. So try not to be too hard on yourself and just understand that that is a sacred moment between you and that person unless they give you the okay to tell other people. Yeah, I have to agree with with everything that's been said. Um, I also encourage people to take the time to try to understand, maybe not immediately in that moment, but like come ready to have a conversation at some point to discuss this with the person who's come out to you. Um, under, ask them what they need from you. You know, that's absolutely critical because if they've come to you to talk to you about this and they're not out to everybody else yet, if they're not out universally yet, um, there's a reason that they chose you as that person. Um, you know, the first person I told was my mother. The second was my brother. Um, and with my mom, I waited till literally everyone was gone and we were sitting downstairs like at the kitchen table. I think we were the better part of the way through two bottles of wine at that point. Like I spent the entire you know, 12 hour drive to Lynchburg, um, like psyching myself up to have this conversation. It was my first night back home for Thanksgiving. And uh, then it took me an additional like four hours of just hanging out and sitting there to, to wind up the nerve. She and I had been um, 
you know, sitting by ourselves for almost an hour and a half by that point. And uh, it was an offhand comment that I made right before I was like saying goodnight. Because um, that's all the courage that I had ever, that I had been able to muster in all of that time. Um, but I chose her because I needed somebody, my mom's an OBGYN, um, and um, she, she does work with trans patients. And at the time, um, she was very involved with people who had just left the Orlando area um, and who knew about mental health resources in the Orlando area. And I, and I wanted um, to find a therapist. I didn't, I didn't know who to look for. I, I didn't know anything about finding a therapist because I was so adamantly against therapy for so very long because I knew what would happen if I tried to unpack any of this. I came to her with a specific reason. Um, like there was a reason I chose her first. And then my brother is, is my child. You know, I raised him. Mama worked a lot of hours and daddy wasn't the best human being. Like he had to know before I told anybody else, like, and I knew he would be fine. Actually, it's really quite frustrating. I told him and his response was to just sort of look me dead in the face and say, finally. And I uh, felt about two inches tall, um, but really validated um, at the same time. So yeah, it's a matter of being re ready to open up a space and, and see what they need from you, you know, because the first couple people that you tell, the first couple people that anyone tells this to, there's a reason you're chosen. There's a reason that, that this, um, I don't want to call it a gift, but like terrible purpose has been shared with you, you know, because it's, it's weighty, it's ponderous. Sometimes it's hard on people that we disclose to because they don't know what to do with this or how to respond to it. Um, and that's fair, and I'm sorry that it's sometimes heavy, but it's important and you should feel honored. Ask them what they need. You know, maybe not immediately, definitely not immediately, because they're probably going to tell you and run um, or end the conversation or be anywhere else, but like the next day or two days later, but make time to sit down and have a conversation with them in a safe space and make sure that it is a safe space and say, hey, what is it that I can do to help you with this? Because those first couple steps are so difficult and so overwhelming. You know, there's so much to be done. You know, I'm a methodical planner and researcher for anything that I'm going to do. So like when I, when I acknowledge, all right, I'm doing this, like I put together an action plan with like quarterly statements of like, here's what I'm doing. Like I had an entire production timetable set up to go on an Excel spreadsheet um, and like everything that I wanted to have researched eventually like brought all this up and looked at my mom. She's like, you know, life doesn't work like this. Or I was like, yeah, I know, but this hel helped me like get this all together so that I could figure out what's going on and, and see it because it is overwhelming. Um, so yeah, help them however they need, but ask them that, you know, be willing to engage with this. It's hard for our allies, but you could save a life. Definitely. And, and I, I really want to uplift you saying that basically it's individual for everyone. And so you really do have to ask, how can I help you? Because it'll be different for every single person. Um, and I do uh, want to echo that honor that you get for being one of the first people that they share with. So thank you so much for all those amazing tips. So for those who may be listening who are trans and need support in Central Florida, what are some resources for them to find community with other trans folks? Yeah, look, we're lucky um, in Central Florida to have amazing resources. Um, first and foremost, uh, peer support space. They have amazing groups that can um, 
I mean, all different types of individuals have a space there. And that's the amazing part of that organization. If it comes to healthcare, we have Spectrum Health. Um, Spectrum Health is amazing and they do telehealth. So you can either have your counseling sessions virtual or you can have your medical sessions virtual. Um, and they have, I wanna say almost 40 states that they have patients in. Um, there is Bliss Healthcare, there's 26 Health. Um, and these are all clinics if you need help with hormones, um, testing for STI, HIV, blood work, anything like that. Um, uh, Gender Advancement Project is something that me and my friend um, just started and it's a grassroots organization, but um, our two main initiatives, the first one, we have a GAP COVID-19 grant. So if you live in Central Florida and you are in need of some financial assistance, we're giving away a one-time $80 grant for those individuals who identify as trans or non-binary. Um, so you can go to genderadvancementproject.org to find out about that. And then we're doing an awareness campaign. So um, one thing that we see is stock photography never has trans people included or non-binary individuals who are doing that, PSAs and different things like that um, that are coming up. And of course, the LGBTQ Center. Um, there's one in Orlando and there's one in Kissimmee. And they have, um, historically, it used to be a space that was only for gay male. Um, gay men, excuse me, and now it has just blossomed and there's trans folks in there and they feel comfortable and I, um, sitting on the board, that was one of my biggest things that was like, this space needs to be affirming for everybody and they took heed to that and it has just blossomed into something amazing. So in Central Florida, um, you're not alone, please understand that. Um, I know it may be scary, but there are resources out there. I really appreciate you sharing so many resources, Nicole. Um, actually, recently I did go see those stock photos that you were mentioning actually they're phenomenal and the vsc is like going to use them for everything now because we're like oh my god these these are amazing um so and really important for visibility um so i really appreciate that morgan i don't know if you had any local resources or national resources that you wanted to share um, locally i can plug i can plug butterfly talks which is a is a peer support group offered by peer supports base butterfly talks is a safe space to build friendships and a sense of community for the lgbt plus or lgbtq plus people uh, and marginalized genders including women non-binary folks uh, and trans men this includes those that are questioning multiple gender loving asexual or any label under the lgbtq plus umbrella uh, they meet on the second and fourth thursday of each month at 6 30 p.m um with a topic or an activity aiming at strengthening the the group mission as a whole um and providing support for each other you know um i attended every meeting that i could for a year um before i moved and i fell in love very quickly a great space and they're good people and i still while we're on zoom i've attended every meeting since quarantine and uh discussions are awesome the people are amazing it's unflinchingly supportive I find myself walking away from every single meeting feeling like I learned something, even if it's just about myself. Um, so yeah, highly, highly, highly recommend Butterfly Talks for any trans folks who feel alone. Um, it really, really helped me. It's a safe space to be vulnerable, which for me was something that I struggled really hard with. Um, as you can probably tell now, that's not an issue anymore. Um, so it's great. They're good people and I highly recommend it. Before we sign off, I just wanted to um, give you all one final um, uh, moment to reflect on anything that you'd like to mention before we uh, kind of uh, say goodbye here. 
if you're listening to this and you're struggling with your gender identity, understand it's okay. We all struggled before we finally made, you know, the decision to move forward and being who we are. Um, you're not alone, no matter where you are. There's um, national resources, there's local resources. And um, I remember feeling very alone in the beginning and thinking I was on this island all by myself and that nobody had transitioned ever in the world. And I was the first and all of these things and just irrational thoughts that you have. So um, be kind to yourself be patient with yourself and um, don't hesitate to reach out to someone or, you know, join a support group or anything like that. If you feel alone. I, yeah, I agree. Um, you're not alone. You're never, you're never alone. I know it feels that way, but it's, it's not, even if you just made an online role-playing group or something like that, you know, that's an amazing space that has so many supportive people in it. Um, conversely, um, the patience that you need to have with yourself, um, I turn 30 next July. Um, I'm just starting my like actual professional career. Um, I work really hard to remind myself that I didn't waste time, that I didn't lose three or four years, that I spent it, you know, figuring myself out, becoming a different person. Um, and I did real work. It just wasn't, you know, the kind that advances a traditional life trajectory. And that's okay. Um, you know, I've always told myself, why be normal? Um, why be average? Because that's boring. Um, and uh, why should I expect my my trajectory career-wise to be the same? Um, and it's really pushed me to accept that I'm different, and that's okay. And and to revel in my difference, um, and and to be affirmed by it, and to revel in and affirm the difference of others. It's okay to be different. It's okay not to fit the mold. And I encourage any people who are struggling with whether to come out or not. There's a quote that I really like from Buddhist tradition. Uh, and that is that there are three things that cannot long be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Being trans is the truth. It's, it's your truth. Like, it's not going to go away. Um, and you can deny it as long as you want. You can push it down as far as you like. But sooner or later, you're going to have to accept it, um, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and that's okay. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Um, love yourself. Love others who need you to love them. Uh, you're coming into a group of people who are capable of such incredible reflexive empathy simply because that's what we needed at some point. So try to provide it to others immediately and without question. And that's pretty amazing. Like, I've met very few trans women who I'm like, you're a genuinely terrible person. Because um, it's kind of hard to be that way when you've walked through fire, you know? Um, it's hard to not empathize with others when you've seen so hard, how hard it can be. So, yeah, um, the community is amazing. Sometimes it can be a little too amazing. You know, sometimes it can be overwhelming. Um, that's okay. Go at your own pace. Everyone's transition, everyone's life is different. You're not going to fit anyone else's mold. That's okay. That's the point. I really appreciate everything that you both have said. And I think that's a beautiful place to sign off. So I just want to thank the listener for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. 
To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so, so much, Nicole and Morgan, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me and tolerating my rambles. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.